Uh, before I dive in today, I thought we would pray specifically for this message because uh, this and the next two weeks tend to be a little deeper, headier, and maybe a little uncomfortable. So uh, we're just going to deal with what the Bible says. We're going to do it in love as a family. Um, and uh, if God needs to do business with any one of us during uh, the response time, then absolutely wonderful. That's kind of why we're here. So, uh, Lord, as we read your word today, as we prepare to talk about some really um, kind of horrific things that are in Scripture, uh, may we be reminded that there's a lot in Scripture that we are not to follow the example of. Um, rather, we are to look to Christ and focus our eyes on him and allow him to be the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so when we read what we read today, may we learn from the church in Corinth um, and what Paul is speaking to the church, uh, both then and now. Um, and may your Holy Spirit speak into our hearts that we may become more like Christ because of the word of God today. May my words be your words, nothing more and nothing less. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So... Um, we, uh, we've talked um, in the past week about uh, the church of Corinth, um, how it was, well, the city of Corinth was rather less than moral, um, and, uh, and, and they uh, came to be known uh, around the known world as one of the most immoral and um, sexually liberal cities that existed. Uh, they had uh, temples with a, a thousand prostitutes, and you would go worship there by partaking in the prostitutes. Um, there were uh, uh, street prostitutes that you could, you know, go to the wrong side of town. We have a red light district that used to exist in our town, right? So um, we, we understand what it means to go to that side of town um, and partake. They had every single pleasure that you could hope for in a city. Um, in fact, they didn't call prostitutes prostitutes. They called them Corinthian girls because so prevalent was the connection between Corinth and sexual immorality uh, that if you were a prostitute, you were just a Corinthian girl. Um, and uh, it, Paul will use this term um, several places in scripture, but we'll read it today, uh, immorality or sexual immorality, depending on your translation. Um, that term that he uses is what we like to call a junk drawer term. How many of you will admit to having a junk drawer in your kitchen or your closet, right? And it's the drawer that if you have it in your hand and you don't know exactly what to do with it, it goes in the drawer. But then when you're looking for something and you don't know where it is, you go to the drawer and you file around in there, right? So Paul uses the term sexual immorality as a junk drawer term. In the Greek, it's the word porneia, um, which is where we get the word porn from. What it basically means is um, I've listed a whole bunch of things and then I use the word porneia. And so it is the junk drawer term. If you can think it up, if you can lust after it, if your um, flesh driven mind can consider it, just throw it in that junk drawer because I want to make sure that every conceivable sin is covered in this list. So here's the junk drawer. You'll find everything else in there. That's kind of how this works. And Paul uses that term uh, in this passage today. Now, um, the, the word um, uh, porneia literally meant a selling off of your purity. So among listing all the sins that you can list in scripture, this term 
which encompasses anything the human mind could consider that is contrary to the will and the word of God in our lives, means to sell off your purity. Have you guys ever thought about your sins like that, no matter what they are? That when you sin, you are selling off your purity. Um, and this is where we get the idea uh, from Paul that this city is just not exactly where it needed to be in terms of relationship with God. In fact, in Corinth, there really wasn't a frame of mind of, nope, that's gone too far. Um, pretty much anything you could think of was permissible. I, I won't list everything, but go ahead in your mind just for a moment and think about the world we live in and think about the kinds of sexual immorality that exist in this world. They existed in Corinth and probably just as much as they exist today. We just have social media to make it look more obvious. Um, in Corinth, it was a, if you want it, you can have it. If you like it, why don't you do it? There was uh, no line in the sand that say, wow, that's just, that's just gross or wrong. It was, if, if you want to, go ahead. Um, until, until the world in Corinth, the depraved city of Corinth, the, the city that would do whatever they felt like and enjoyed it, met the church at Corinth. And when they saw the church at Corinth doing the things that the church at Corinth was doing, the city of Corinth said, you guys are gross. You guys have gone one step too far. We wouldn't even do what you are doing and permitting. And this is the situation that Paul is going to be talking about today in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the church of Corinth has gone so far off the deep end that the most immoral city in the known day looked at the church and said, gross, you guys, that's wrong. That, that should freak us out, right? When the world looks at the church and says, dang, that dang, right? I don't want any part of that God that you worship because of the way that you are acting. It's probably a really modern message. Um, so this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, so the church in Corinth um, not only did things that the city wouldn't consider doing, but they embraced it, they loved it, and they permitted it and excused it in their presence. They said... Jesus is okay with this. All the meanwhile, they would point their finger outside of the church and go, but y'all are horrible sinners. Paul wanted to speak into that. So we're going to read this today. Uh, we're going to read it from the message version. I'll have it up on the screen for you. I encourage you to follow along if you want in 1 Corinthians 5. As we go back through it, I'll be reading from the ESV. But I really like how the message phrases things in this context. So uh, here we go. Paul speaking. I have received a report of scandalous sex within your church family, a kind that wouldn't even be tolerated outside the church. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother. Now, first off, the I have received a report, the original language gives the impression that this isn't like someone was running to Paul and talking about it. 
But this is a commonly accepted and well-known truth about the church in Corinth. He is just saying what everyone in the church is talking about on a regular basis. People are putting notches in their belt for the way they are living in the church. It is commonly accepted. And Paul's like, y'all, what you're doing is scandalous. And the outside church, uh, people outside the church wouldn't even permit this. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother. And you are so above it all that it doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your heart? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? Um, and, and this was the problem that the church in Corinth had, is that it was not uh, following along with biblical mandates. Paul, I'll tell you what I would do. Even though I'm not there in person, consider me as if I was there in person, because I can fully see what's going on. And I'm telling you, this is wrong. You must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. Bring it out in the open and deal with it in the authority of Jesus, our master. Assemble the community. I'll be present in spirit with you, and our master Jesus will be present in power. Hold this man's conduct up to public scrutiny. Let him defend it if he can, but if he can't, then out with him. It will be totally devastating to him, of course, and embarrassing to you, but better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want him on his feet and forgiven before the master on the day of judgment. Your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works its way through a whole batch of bread dough pretty fast. So get rid of this yeast. Our true identity is flat and plain, not puffed up with the wrong kind of ingredient. The Messiah, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal, and we are the unraised bread part of the feast. So let's live out our part in the feast, not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flat bread, simple, genuine, unpretentious. I wrote you in my earlier letter that you shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing to do at all with outsiders or anything of that sort, or with crooks, whether blue or white collar, or spiritual phonies for that matter. You would have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I am saying you shouldn't act as if everything is fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous, or crooked, or is flip with God, or rude to friends, or gets drunk, or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it like acceptable behavior. I'm not responsible for what the outsiders do, but don't we have responsibility for those within our community of believers? God decides on the outsiders, but we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and, if necessary, clean house. Paul has some really strong words for the church. Um, strong words we would be wise to pay attention to. Um, in, in the first two verses of this chapter, Paul says quite plainly, it is reported there is sexual immorality, a kind that is not even among the pagans. There is incest in the church, and the church is okay with it. 
Guys, that's not how the church of God is supposed to act. And, and Paul is saying, not only are you not supposed to act this way, but um, you, are, you are encouraging it. You are seeing your brothers and sisters struggle, and you're allowing them to continue to do this. We don't know the circumstances behind this, right? Um, scholars put out many kinds of situations that say, oh, well, the man and his wife were divorced, and so it really wasn't weird for the son to be with his stepmother. I think that's weird. Um, uh, some people said that there was uh, an adulterous affair there. Some people have, they just some people, some people, some people. Does it really matter? Why are we trying to make excuses for what is sin? Um, and so Paul calls them to account for this. And he says, listen, you need to unite in Jesus and reject sin rather than uniting in sin and rejecting Jesus. Because as a church, Paul says, we are to be holy in the midst of, of a challenging culture. But right now, the outside world looks a little more holy than the church looks. Um, and so he rebuked them. He says, you need to take the sin and expose it to light so that it can be dealt with in the name of Jesus. And Paul, who is a leader in the church, he encouraged the church strongly, directly, to act with discipline. And this is where people sometimes get uncomfortable in the church because uh, how dare you tell me that what I'm doing isn't okay. And if that is our response when someone comes to us as a brother or sister in Christ and says, I see the way you're acting. It doesn't really look like the faith you profess. And I would really like to pray with you or encourage you or are you struggling or how can, you know, or knock it off because this is just wrong. And we puff ourselves up with pride and we want to defend the way we do things. We want to say, but I can justify and we have all these kinds of excuses. The thing is, church discipline is really healthy for us. We talk about it when we talk about church membership. When you choose to partner with Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene, you are saying, I am submitting to the body of believers here and its leadership so that if I stray from the faith that I proclaim, then my brothers, my sisters, or my leaders will be able to come to me in love. And if one person can't correct me, then they'll bring someone else and they'll come to me in love and say, listen, this is off base. We need to help you come back to Jesus in this area. But if they don't listen then to two people, scripture tells us then we are to bring them before the church and say, this is what's going on and they won't repent. And if they still won't repent at the church level, we are to send them out of the church. And that seems so harsh, right? Like when we read these words from Paul, Paul's saying, listen, let's hand him over to the devil right? What he's saying is this guy is already chosen to follow the desires of the flesh. Let's not pretend he's a Christian anymore. Let's call him of the flesh. We're doing this so that when he experiences the world and the struggles that come with it, he will become like the prodigal son. He will remember how good God is, how bad sin is, and he will come to repentance. But he will never come to repentance if he stays in the church and everybody says what he's doing is okay. That will lead to spiritual death. If we want people to have spiritual life, the church must learn to, in love, 
practice disciplined kinds of conversations. Ideally, they all happen one-on-one. -on -one. This is one of those rare and few circumstances where it is appropriate to send an unrepentant sinner outside and say, man, this can't be. The church has a line of holiness and this does not match that. And there is room for sinners in the church, but sinners who are actively striving against their flesh, right? Um, so uh, Paul was very strict there. Um, he continues to say that sin will destroy the entire body. So if we don't remove that which is cancerous from the body, it will spread and infect the rest of the body. He uses the example of yeast. How many of you are bakers? A handful of you. Okay, so you understand yeast. Those of you who don't know what yeast is, you put it in and it makes the bread go all puffy, which is why you have puffy cookies or puffy muffins or cakes that are big and yummy instead of like flat, hard things, right? Um, and, and there's uh, a science to baking, right? But the idea is that all you need is a teeny tiny little bit of yeast. I used to marvel at it when my mom would bake. You get those, you know those packets of yeast? Um, and, uh, and it smelled weird. And she would have me rip it open and you would use a little bit of it to make what you were making. Um, and one time I put too much in um, and it didn't go very well. Um, the idea here that Paul is saying is just a little bit of that yeast is going to cause the entire body to puff up into sin. So you need to remove that from your fellowship. It's the same way with cancer. When, when people get cancer, you don't go, uh, eh, I'll permit that, that to stay there. It, it, you know, it's, it can, that part of my body can, oh, I'm okay with that. When people get cancer, you go after it, right? There's various forms of treatment that people use, but you go after it because you know that those cells are going to spread and you don't want it to spread to the rest of your body because it will lead to devastating effects. It's the same thing within the body of Christ. And this is what Paul is really trying to let the church know. You have allowed yeast or cancer in the body of the Christ to spread. It started with one man's unrepentant sin, but it has spread to the rest of you because you all are permitting it. You are telling everybody in the city of Corinth that this is how Christ acts. This is what Christ permits. This is how Christ would have you live. And it's a lie. The church became very unholy in a challenging culture. Paul was calling them back to holiness. And then he, he adds this caveat in, in verses 9 through 11. He says, listen, yeah, we got to practice some church discipline. Yeah, there are some people that need to be called out for the ways that they are living. But don't stop hanging out with sinners. Don't be so far removed from sin that you aren't telling people how much Jesus loves them. But this is the whole plank in the eye and the speck in somebody else's, right? So the church has this massive impaled log in their face. And they have to deal with that before they are able to fully be a light in a dark world. Paul says, I want you to hang out with drunkards. I want you to hang out with the sexually immoral. I want you to be in the world, but I don't want you to be of the world, and I don't want the church to be worse than the world. So deal with the sin in your midst. Don't love it. Deal with it, 
And then you may go be a holy people in a challenging culture. Now, the church, um, historically, in, in this day, and even in our day, and pretty much every day in between, has struggled with this. This wasn't just the Church of Corinth. Church of Corinth lived in a challenging city. We live in a challenging city. Um, name every other church that, is every, uh, that has ever existed in any generation, and every city that it has been in has had its challenges. The cult of the church has remained the same. Be holy in a challenging culture. Now, the church has to own the way that it has acted. The church as a whole, the global church, has permitted a lot of things that Christ does not approve of, that Christ does not permit of. Uh, just a short list. Abuse by church leaders, both um, sexually, emotionally, relationally, and physically, and spiritually. Now, I won't ask you to raise hands, but many of us have experienced that in some way, shape, or form, myself included. And it's devastating when spiritual leaders misuse their authority. Um, churches have tolerated spousal abuse. People in the church know it's happening, and they don't do anything about it. They turn a blind eye. It's not acceptable. Um, church tolerates gossip. We talked about that last week. Don't need to go there any further. Um, addiction to porn. The church tolerates it. If the statistics are correct, one in every four people views porn on a regular basis. There are, let's see, we have... 90 chairs in this room there are maybe 10 that so we got what 80 people in here um i don't know what the math is on that but um that's a lot of people and i'm i'm not saying you all are struggling i'm just saying statistically one in every four of us in the church the statistic is not different than the world God calls us to be holy. We need to deal with these things. So church tolerates people living in sexual relationships outside the bounds of marriage. We see it. We know about it. We don't say anything about it. And, and I'm not saying we need to go to people and be like, that's never the first step, ever the first step. Jesus led us by example when he met with that prostitute who was going to be stoned to death. And he treated her with dignity and love and respect. And he freed her from her sins and then encouraged her to go live a life without sin. There was no this. The church has to learn to act with love towards people who are broken and struggling with sin. But we cannot permit sin to go on. The church also permits racism. Right? We can't. We can't. It's contrary to God's view of the kingdom. God's view of the kingdom is every tongue and every nation and every culture should worship Jesus. So the church should be the place where racism does not exist. Right. Not that we don't see different skin colors. Not that we don't hear different languages. Because racism mostly exists when we say, oh, I don't see people of a different color. We have to. 
because sometimes people are being abused because of their race or their nation or their language, and we have to say something about that, okay? The church cannot permit that anymore. Now, what about homophobia? Well, that's, that's something the church gets just, that's a sticker right on the church, right? We gotta do something about that, folks. We're called to love, okay? Um, arrogance exists. Man, I think everybody could raise their hand if I listed arrogance, right? And I do, so we'll just consider everybody raising their hand because we've all struggled with that, right? right? Um, and, 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 then, and here's one that's maybe even more touchy than anything else, and so I won't harp on it. I'll just say it. Politics as an idol, right? We worship Jesus, that's right. not a political system, and I'll leave it there. But the church has permitted in every generation these things to go on and include the junk drawer term, anything else you can think of, right? <laughs> so um, these are the sins the church permits. When the church permits these sins, it fractures the body. This is where we get disunity. Lost people looking for hope look at the church and go, not much different, no hope there. They're, they might actually even be worse because they say they believe one thing and they live another way. At least out there, people say and live consistently. We are called to live differently than that. Now, the question comes, why? Uh, why does the church permit sin? And there's a handful of reasons just to roll around in your brain. Um, sin might be permitted in the church because it's committed by a, pro uh, a prominent leader that people feel reluctant to challenge. That's where spiritual abuse can come in, by uh, board members, by pastors, by staff, right? You feel like you can't challenge in love someone who's in direct leadership above you. If they are out of line with scripture, they need to be challenged in love and brought to repentance. Um, some people can smooth talk and rationalize their sin and even make it appear respectable. I just read an article this week Actually, I read two articles this week that deal exactly with this. One based in Ketchikan, one based nationally, of leaders in the church saying, well, yeah, I cheated on my wife, but then we got divorced, so it's okay that I was sleeping with my secretary. No. Smooth talkers need to be challenged in the name of Jesus. Sin is sin. Let's call it sin. Um, sometimes the, sin, uh, the church permits sin because the church itself as a whole is engrossed in a, a stupid quarrel or division that is non-essential. And so it is distracted and not seeing the essential things. Churches fight over Worship music, chairs, I kid you not. I kid you not. I have a pastor friend who just found out someone is leaving their church because they changed from pews to chairs. I'm not even joking. That kind of non-essential struggle distracts the body of God from the essential issues. It's a tool that Satan uses to keep us so wrapped up in non-essential divisions, breaking our unity, that we cannot even see the big things that we need to deal with. We need to be cognizant of what the big issues are and let the little non-essential issues 
be non-essential things we don't debate. Sometimes the church permits sin to gain freedom for other sins. Well, if we allow this, then we can get away with this. If I don't say anything about that, then at least I can keep doing my own thing. We gotta check ourselves here in the heart. The Corinthian church uh, had gifts from the Holy Spirit. They were intellect and they were um, the gifts of, of, of great speaking and dialogue. Um, and they used those gifts to split the church in divisions, but they were powerless to use those gifts to engage sin, where God would have wanted those gifts to be leveraged. And the problem in the church in Corinth, the problem in our church, globally, nationally, here, um, is not that sin occurs in the church, because if we're honest, we're a bunch of sinners who are desperate need of the grace of Jesus. Right? Um, every single one of us struggles with sin in some way, shape, or form. Some of it on a very public level, most of it on a very private level. Right? The church is full of sinners. Praise the Lord for Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Um, the problem is not that the church had sinners in it. The problem is the church allowed it to continue. And, and this is what we have to deal with. The ultimate test of Christ-likeness is not the spiritual gifts that we have or the knowledge or the position that we have, but the ability to deal with sin. You want to be Christ-like, then deal with sin. Because when Jesus came to earth, he dealt with sin. And he dealt with it in a very significant way. He confronted people and said, go and sin no more, right? And then he intentionally went to the cross and died on the cross in our place for our sins to purchase back us individually from the domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of light and to produce a holy people among an unholy world. He paid the ultimate price so that we wouldn't have to struggle with this kind of sin, so that we could deal with it the way that he deals with it. There's only one response this morning. The only holy response to a message like this, according to Paul, according to the gospel, it, it is found in, in the verses we just read. Why are you not sorrowful? Why have you not repented? Why are you still arrogant in your sin? Uh, the response that we as a church, we as individuals, have to make today uh, is to mourn our sin. To mourn the sin that we've permitted. To mourn the sin we've participated in. To mourn the secret sins nobody knows about, but that we know and God knows. Um, there's a personal aspect here. We have to own our own sin before the cross of Jesus. Lay it down and let him uh, take care of that. Uh, we are crucified with Christ, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Um, so we have to own that personally. But then, uh, corporately, the body of Christ needs to mourn and repent the ways that, as a church, both locally and globally, we have permitted sin. And we must pray for the church to reject sin and embrace holiness. And then, if necessary, discipline conversations have to be had. 
that's not a bad thing. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So we should eagerly want discipline from the hand of the Lord. Um, I'm going to have the ushers come forward and, and we're going to pass communion out. Um, the team is going to come up um, and lead us in a time of worship. And, uh, and as the elements are being passed, I'm just going to pray for us. But I would ask that you would hold the elements. Um, and we will take them together. And then we will sing. Um, but as I am praying, would you be praying? Um, the only acceptable response is repentance. So if you are a Christ follower this morning, you should be repenting. There is sin in your life somewhere. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, and all of this sounds a little weird, and maybe even harsh, and maybe even, I don't know that I want to go to a church that talks like this. I totally get it, because I was there. Here's what you need to know. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what kind of things you have gotten into. God paid the price on the cross, and that doesn't have to be guilty on you anymore. God doesn't have anger towards you. He has love. And his hand is extended this morning to say, come. Just come and experience love. And let me take care of the sin part. And know what it is to be made in the image of God, whole and restored. So maybe this morning, the first thing that you need to do is trust Jesus. That he actually did die on the cross for your sins. That you actually can be holy in a challenging world. You can live a life that pleases God. Let's pray as the elements are passed. And then we'll sing, Lord... Uh, this message in scripture is immensely challenging and sometimes even I get into the mindset that the Bible is a, is a book that is good but maybe not always applicable and then I read passages and I realize how insanely truthful and real it is for today, for right now, for our lives that if Paul was here, he would have written this exact same thing to the global church today. The ways that we have grieved you, the ways that we have allowed sin to go on, the scandals and the mess. Lord, forgive us. The church has erred in ways and you have come to earth to live a life that is holy, to die on the cross in our place for our sins, to purchase us back and to produce for yourself a bride, your church, holy and blameless. So this morning, Father, we need to repent of our sin. We long to be made holy. And you are eager to do that for us. And scripture says that if your people pray, and repent, you will heal our land. The land being our hearts, the land being the church. And because of that, creation. As we prepare to take 
this meal. It's the meal of unleavened bread. No yeast. The meal where we remember that Christ died and was cut off, bearing all of our sins. And we partake the unleavened bread and the cup. And we do it in remembrance of what he did to remind us that we are a holy church. Lord, help us know our identity in you today. And we give you all the honor and all the glory. We pray these things in your name. On the night he was betrayed, he gathered with his friends, his closest friends. And he took a piece of unleavened bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he lifted it high and he blessed it. And he said, this is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant which is poured out for you and for all who believe. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, receive our worship now as a church striving for holiness by your Holy Spirit. Call to mind the sin we need to repent of and do it with a loving hand, we pray. Before the benediction, I feel compelled to say a few things. Short. If you were convicted of something today by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's something that you know you need help with, and you can't do on your own, there's no shame in asking for help. It doesn't matter what the sin listed was or what it is that you are struggling with. I'm available, and my phone number is on the website, or you can come tap me on the shoulder. Church discipline doesn't kick you out of the church for saying, I struggle. So please, if you need help with something, please come talk to me. I would love to pray with you and get you some resources and encourage you in your walk to be holy. That said, go and live a life that is holy in a challenging world. May you be the church. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.